0: Hello, and welcome to the pre med years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome to the pre med years. Thank you so much for joining me today. As I just mentioned, I am Dr. Ryan Gray host of lots of podcasts here on the MedEd Media Network. If you don't subscribe to any other podcasts, what are you waiting for? We have the MCAT podcast that is free MCAT prep. We have the MCAT cars podcast, which is free MCAT prep. We have the specialty stories podcast, which helps you identify what potential career you may be interested in. In going to. We have the old pre-meds podcast for non-traditional students answering really relevant questions to you. We have Ask the Dean, which is a great podcast I do with my mapped team. We have Ask Dr. Gray, which is a one-on-one coaching call with students. We have so many podcasts going out every week just for you. And they're all free. So go check them out. This week, I have a great guest who has a great story of resilience and determination. But before we jump into that, I wanna talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. It's winding down the MCAT season for 2021 as we're recording this. And the question that always comes into play at this point is I've submitted my application. I just got my MCAT score back and it's not good enough. Should I squeeze in the final date of the year here in September, or do I give up on the application cycle or not even give up on the application cycle, just take the MCAT in January and hope that medical schools will look at a January MCAT and potentially invite me for an interview February, March. I am always very conservative when it comes to giving people the green light to say, oh yeah, I'm not concerned, go ahead and push forward, apply, apply, apply. If you didn't get the score you wanted, the question is, why? Did you rush? Did you were, were you not prepared? Were you rushing just to get in a test for this application cycle because you submitted everything because you just had this kind of arbitrary, I need to apply this year mentality? Well, if you continue that mentality and just go, well, I, I've already applied. Now we're in the fallacy of sunk costs right? I've already applied. I've already spent all this money on my application. I I might as well just take the MCAT in, in September, squeeze it in and hope for the best, right? Pray, just pray. That's the answer for a lot of you is pray. And unfortunately, miracles are not very common with the MCAT. So I typically don't recommend trying to rush a final MCAT here in September If you are applying to DO schools, they are much more lenient with January MCAT scores than MD schools, so it's something to potentially look at. Or you go, you know what, I tried my best, I'm not ready to retake the MCAT now, I'm going to stop wasting money on secondaries, and I'm just going to push forward for next application cycle. So it's really up to you as, as you're figuring this out. If you need some more help or you want to ask questions to the experts, go to BlueprintMCAT.com and sign up for a free consultation to ask them some questions that maybe they they can help guide you on what the best answer is for you. Again, that's BlueprintMCAT.com. So this week, I am talking to a a man who has been on a long five-plus-year journey of getting in to medical school and one that is finally successful. As I talk to him, he is a first-year medical student now. After going through this process several times, after five MCAT tests, he can finally call himself a future physician. We talked to Brian, who came from a background that didn't support students going to college let alone medical school. And we talk about the resilience needed, the determination needed to break free of those trends and forge his own path. Brian, welcome to the pre years. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing?
1: Hey, Dr. Gray. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm doing well. Doing well.
0: This conversation has been many years in the making uh, from when we first found each other, started talking to each other, and uh, now you as a medical student, I I am so proud to see you where you are at, and I'm excited to share your stories with the uh, tens of thousands of students who are going to end up listening to this podcast. So thank you for coming on and sharing your story and hopefully giving some inspiration for those to come.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, many years in the making, but We're here now, and this is why we're here to obviously share it and uh, hopefully inspire the next person.
0: Let's do it. So my favorite question, when did you first realize that you wanted to be a doctor?
1: Yeah, the infamous and most important (laughs) question we ask ourselves, right? So for me, I mean, it's it's a long, long, obviously, journey and story, but I think for sake of knowing, right, I think for me at a very young age, um, growing up where I grew up as a first generation and kind of growing up in a socioeconomic disadvantage background and area. I um I didn't know that I wanted to be a doctor immediately, but rather just seeing the things in my community, seeing the things that were impacting, um you know, the people I cared about the most and in my community and my family, um specifically with people that things that happened in my community, made me really realize like I wanted something more for myself and others. I didn't want that for me or the people that were more immediate to me or just in my community in general. And so at the early age, I knew that I wanted to do something more than what was destined for me. Um, I mean, a lot of people who grew up where I grew up were destined for drugs, violence, incarceration, and just seeing that was not something that, you know, I would want for anybody. So I knew that I needed to pursue higher education, I knew that I wanted to do in order to get out, black or a better word, um, I needed to pursue higher education. And the only way for me to do that was to do well in school and um, be able to afford scholarships to go to higher education and go to college. Um, and so at an early age, I knew that I wanted to do something, but I really didn't know what. Um, it really wasn't until about the age of 15 um, that my mom, unfortunately, got ill. Um, that results in her having to be hospitalized for about a week. And at that time, growing up, a lot of, like, lots of times since we were uninsured, we really didn't go to the doctor. We didn't really seek care unless you really needed to. Um, we usually went to what's called a curandero, which is like a spiritual healer. You're, like, person in the corner that can take care of you. A more holistic approach. Point being is we didn't really go a lot. So when my mom got ill, um, not only was I um, experiencing um, the hopelessness and helplessness of not understanding what was going on to her um, her body and why she was in the state that she was, but also felt really like there wasn't anybody that could really um, translate for her, or understand her. Um, I was interpreting for her because I'm um, Spanish and English speaking, but going through that moment, um, it was, you know, a battle between those two things. And, you know, what was she going through? And then also why can a lot of people not really help us? Like, well, I don't really understand what she's going through, what I'm going through. Yeah. And, you know, the lack of uh, people I could identify with in a room. And so thankfully, my mom got better. She got improved. But I knew from that point on that I wanted to learn more about it. And I wanted to learn more about, you know, what are these health care professions? What is it to be a physician? What is it to be able to help somebody like me that's going to be going through that? make sure they don't feel the way I felt. Um, And so from that point forward, I kind of thought about it. And, you know, it was more to the story, but that's kind of where the initial seed started, right? And then from then on, it was an evolution and transformation.
0: Yeah, it's it's such a common story, right? Uh, Especially as a first generation, second generation, uh, just uh, especially where uh, parents don't speak English, or or at least don't speak it fluently enough to understand the system and communicate with physicians. And kids are in there, like you're in there interpreting for parents. And and it's that initial exposure that's like, this is number one, kind of awe-inspiring. It sucks that my mom's going through this, but it's kind of interesting, everything that I'm seeing go around me. And it sucks because these doctors can't communicate with my mom. And, and why is that? Why? Why do none of these doctors look like me? Right? It's, it's, it's that conundrum of, it's a good experience that you had, because now you're here. And you can hopefully help to start change the system from the inside. But it sucks that you had to go through it. And then medicine is very white. and And we need to continue to work to change that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I echo everything and yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's, it sucks that that's the price we have to pay, right, for the to get to able to identify these things. And, um, you know, ultimately, but I think, uh, you know, just from that point forward, I knew that I wanted to learn more about this, right? And how can I go about learning about it? Because again, we didn't really go to doctors a lot of times and no one really in my family was a doctor or was in medicine or healthcare in general. So being the first in my family to navigate from then on, it was uh, an evolution. So
0: so you fifteen, you're like, "Okay, this is interesting. I want to explore it I, I think this may be my my life's mission. You go to undergrad, you get into medical school, piece of cake right end of story
1: <laughs> yeah, that's skipping 20,000 <laughs> steps in between but uh
0: what what yeah, was so the, hold on what what was the the most challenging part for you being a pre med student
1: so I think for me um the most challenging part was to be able to answer the question. Let me let me backtrack a little bit. So from that point on, when I had the initial seed of what I wanted to do, um, came the, the idea of having to learn more about it and discovering. okay, what does it actually mean to be a physician? So without really seeing anybody in my, in my family or anybody in my immediate circle or in my community um, that was a physician that looked like me, it was having to navigate, okay, how do I get from where I am to where I want to be? And how do I get from this dream to actually solidify it? And so, in high school, before my senior high school, I applied for this program at my local medical school that was called MedStar. And essentially, it just brought 24 students from the valley, uh, from the area, from the city, that um, wanted to learn more about health healthcare professional professions and careers. And essentially, put us through like a eight week boot camp over the summer where we learned about you know, what does it mean to be a physician, nurse uh, practitioner, nurse, uh, PT, OT, um, and more like you know just the gist of j- Right, what, what does it actually take? Um, we got to meet some professors, We had some lectures. We had some courses. We got to tour to hospitals and everything. But it was at that point, finally, that as I was going to my senior high school, that I finally knew a little bit more about what it takes, and it actually made my dream more attainable. I actually felt okay. I can actually do this, and actually know what it takes. So as I transitioned from high school to college, um, you know, uh, a lot of people from my high school didn't go to college, so a lot of, there was a really, really high dropout um, rate. Um, where we started for about 1,000 people in my freshman year class and about 600 graduated from high school, so about a 40% dropout rate. Um, but of that 600, only a few of us, like a handful, actually went to college. So as I navigated to college as a pre-med, studying bioengineering, um, what had worked for me at the time uh, as a student in high school uh, to do well wasn't actually going to work at all and in college. And that's when a lot of the reality came, as being a quote-unquote pre-med. Um, I think for me, it's easy. When I was in high school, it was easy for me to do well when a lot of people, you know, tend to not do well and not really care as much per se. Um, not because they don't care uh, purposely, but because it's really hard to know when obviously a lot of us don't go to college. And so what worked for me in high school wasn't going to work for me now that I was in the ocean working worked the pre-meds um, at a big public state institution. And so the reality came when, now that I was a pre-med in college, I was trying to juggle not only being one of a handful that went to college, but also trying to juggle what it meant to be pre med while trying to juggle what it meant to be an engineering student mm. and all the other things that came with, um, you know, being a first generation, not really having a lot of mentors and leaders um, that could help guide me. And I think I struggled um, my first semester or two because, um, you know, that aspect of it, but also a lot of the ignorance and, of that thinking that what was going to work was going to work and what worked in high school was going to work for me in college. Um, and knowing that, like, I I was just a little bit arrogant, and didn't want to ask for the help. And so the reality hit me in the face hard because not only was I struggling, but I also didn't know that I came not ask for help. I didn't think that I was actually something I could do. Yeah. And so as a pre-med in college, I... Um, I uh, I went through the motions. I I tried to do the best that I could. Um, but after my my first year, because I was on scholarship, I actually ended up losing my scholarship because I didn't meet the G, uh, the GPA requirements for my scholarship. And that's kind of where I started to take my studies a lot more seriously. Meaning my coffee got got darker, but also I started to seek out the resources available to me that I thought I didn't I couldn't seek out, but I actually started to. So I seeked out tutoring services. Uh, you know, started to go to office hours. Uh, build a network of peers and mentors and also uh, go to my professors before and eventually start to kind of get the gist of learning how to go from surviving um, college to now thriving. Now, um, you know, college in itself was a journey. And, uh, but I feel like a lot of my reality of what it meant to be pre-med didn't really come until after I graduated college because you know about applying to medical school. Like, you know, you have to apply to medical school. You know, you have to like take this thing called the MCAT but I really didn't know what that was until I graduated college. Mm. Um, I started to really learn about it so
0: i as you were going through the process and and struggling earlier on with your grades before kind of turning it around, did you ever think at at, at any of those points that well, now I've ruined my chance of getting into medical school because of this myth that you have to be the perfect student to get into medical school <sighs>
1: Yes and no. And I say that because I knew that you needed to be smart and have good grades, but I didn't really understand the extent of how good grades have to be, how good your GP has to be. Um, I guess like I, I thought about it, but I really didn't think about it too much thoroughly because I was just trying to get by. I was just trying to survive college. And I think the reality kind of hit me when um, because I was on a certain type of scholarship that socialized my education for four years. I knew that I only had eight semesters to make this work. And because of that, I wasn't, at the time, I didn't think that I could withdraw or repeat courses because I knew that if I did, how was I going to be able to afford, you know, an additional semester after the the first eight that they paid for, right? So for me, I, I I thought about, yeah, like I need to get good grades, but I was just so focused on trying to survive and get by college that I didn't really start thinking about or worrying about like the reality of what kind of GPA I really need for medical school until I graduate uh, college. Um, and so, yeah, I think a, a little bit of it was like ignorance, and not really understanding it. I feel like a lot of times you really, again, I guess you don't really know what it takes to go to medical school until you actually start applying for medical school. And that's kind of where the a lot of the evolution and the journey really started. I feel like when I, I went to college, you know, they say that you go to college, you kind of find ways to discover yourself. And that's what you learn about yourself. And in a way you do. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot of my discovery didn't really come until after I graduated college in 2015. And that's when I really started the journey of, OK, like, let's actually make this dream come true. Oh,
0: going to medical school. What, what was the the thinking behind delaying all of the med school kind of process and thinking instead of trying to work that into your undergraduate studies? Was that just a strategic decision because you were trying to stay afloat with undergrad studies? You're like, I'll just, I'll wait on everything else.
1: So, uh, Yes, not purposefully, but I think like I had mentioned, like after my first year of college, I knew that I needed to get my, my ish together academically because I had lost my scholarship. So my sophomore and junior year, I literally just focused my efforts and my time on doing nothing but just learning how to study, how to be a student and get my GPA back up. Um, and it wasn't until I got a good grip on it, maybe by the end of my sophomore year, starting junior year of college, that I started to take on more extracurriculars that were pre-health related um, by joining clubs. And I started to do research and stuff like that. And, um, but again, I didn't really understand the extent of how competitive it is. As we know pre-med culture, it's really competitive. When you see everybody around you kind of doing these things. But then for me, I was just trying to stay afloat with my grades. And so when I started to finally get involved with research and started to finally get involved with pre-health organizations between my uh, junior and senior year, um, I just was trying essentially just at that point, trying to actually expose myself more and trying to build my extracurriculars. Um, the MCAT, I didn't know I needed to take it, um, But again, it's not that I didn't take it seriously. I just at the time I just was trying to stay afloat. And I think I had thought about the MCAT my senior year. I do like a Kaplan course, but I ended up just dropping the course and not taking the MCAT, and not worry about the MCAT till after I graduated college. um, And that's kind of again where I started to really learn. Oh shoot, like I should have started thinking about this sooner, but I didn't because I I was just trying to get through college and stay afloat.
0: Yeah, makes sense. So. Once you graduate college and, and you're able to kind of step back and take a look at, at your grades and everything that you were doing at that point, again, you you do typically, I would expect people to do a little check in and go, okay, where, where am I at? <laughs> like, can it, should I push forward? Uh, is my dream over? What do I do now? How, how did you assess your situation at the end of, of graduating college to figure out if, if going to medical school was still a possibility for you.
1: So I think what I did was once I got out of college, um, there was a brief period, like about a month or two after college, right? I didn't really think that I was going to do it anymore. I thought like, maybe I was going to just start focusing my efforts. on pursuing a career in engineering. Um, but after spending that summer, kind of just thinking about it, if I really want to do this, well, how do I start? Where do I go from here? Um, you know, after having that kind of revel- revelation, asking those questions, I decided that, you know what, I do want to do this because at the very least, I can I could try because this is what my dream has always been. And for me to just throw in the towel without actually trying, you know, I would never really know if my dream would come true. And so from that point forward, following the summer of my 2015, I just thought about, okay, well, um, the first question I asked myself was, like, well, I need to take the MCAT. But I didn't, I guess, again, I didn't think about the GPAs and stuff like that because at the time I didn't really even know what MSAR was. I didn't really know you can even look up this information for schools. I didn't really have a lot of friends at that point still that were still pre-med because either they had already gone into med school or they had already kind of like decided not to pursue medical school. So being where I was, I didn't really understand the GPA stuff as far as like, okay, where is my GPA? I knew my GPA was lower than what it should have been because, I mean, that was like a 2.9 when I graduated college. Um, In engineering, that's obviously God level because, you know, it's (laughs) engineering, but when you compare that to a notion of pre it's not it's not competitive, right? So the first question I had was, okay, I need to take the MCAT. I need to actually go through this. And so following the revelation, I said, okay, I'm going to show up for the MCAT and just take it by just reading a couple of books. I didn't take any practice tests. And this is when the MCAT had just changed to the 2015 version. And I thought maybe, like, for whatever reason, I'll be part of the lucky draw that, like, the MCAT would just work in my favor because there was no actual real scores to go off of. There was no data or whatever to really rate it. Um, And this is what I thought at the time, at least. And uh, I took the MCAT at the end of, of, I think, September of 2015. That was my first attempt. And the results showed by not doing your practice exams and didn't do so well. So, (laughs) yeah, and then I think think from that point forward, I said, okay, once I had the reality check of what the MCAT score was, my first MCAT was 486, um, I started to really think about, okay, well, like, where am I actually at? Like, academically, professionally, and personally, right? So, where am I at? Like, where do I stand academically compared to my peers that are applying to medical school? Where do I stand professionally with my experiences and what I've done and what I want to do? And then what can I actually go from this? If I really want to make this happen personally, right, What where, where where do I go from this? And so I think having the reality hit me in the face with the MCAT, the first official MCAT score that I got, I decided from that point forward to start building my experiences. So um, I think that's when I really started to dive in and started to research more about these things. And that might have been actually when I found out about the pre-med years, or within the beginning of 2016, but I know that from that point forward, after taking my first MCAT, I started to expose myself more to uh, opportunities as closely related to clinical as I could, and also volunteering in hospitals to kind of put my exposure out there. Some things that I had never done in undergraduate, I had never really committed to those things the way I was committed to them from that point forward religiously.
0: Yeah, going and getting that experience did that did that help motivate you to continue pushing forward?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I definitely think it, it helped forge what was about to unfold because um, I had just graduated and my first job out of, out of college was I ended up working as a pharmacy technician because I knew that that was going to be the closest thing to get to clinical without being licensed in any clinical way. Um, this is before I knew what a scribe even was. And um, and that in itself was obviously not clinical experience, but it was like the closest thing I can get to like something medical related. Um and I started volunteering at three hospitals. I didn't volunteer just one. I made sure that every single second of my time from that point forward was dedicated to exposing myself and just kind of to re-inspire me. Cause I had I had the the um the fire, the fuel growing up and going to college. But I, I think along the way, it kind of got um dimmed a little bit because I was just trying to survive school. Um and I didn't get the, the enough exposure that I needed to really okay, know this is really what I want to do. And so from that point forward, again, uh the end of of 2015, I'd split my time between working and volunteering at two different hospitals, one in my community, one at the university level, and one at a children's hospital. So um, that's kind of how I moved forward from that point on for the rest of 2015. And then starting 2016, I um, was able to line up opportunity as a job as a medical assistant, which is clinical setting. In this case, it was an ophthalmology and also a job as a scribe in the ER. And so for the beginning of 2016 up until October 2016, I essentially just dedicated myself to working and exposing myself to the clinical setting nonstop. In the sense that I was working like eight to five Monday through Friday in the the clinic as an MA. And then my free weekends were consisted of working two 12-hour shifts in the ER where I had no days off. So I think in that time is really where I pushed myself to uh, fall in love with, with myself, with the profession, and really ask myself, this is what I want to do, all while trying to still study for the MCAT, a second go around. Yeah. So, so we'll go, we'll go into that next. Yeah,
0: yeah, let's let's talk about studying for the MCAT because graduating undergrad with a 2.9 typically says that you're not ready to take the MCAT. So as you were studying to take the MCAT, were you also taking classes again? And and how did how did you go about like figuring out what you need to do for, for what we call a quote unquote grade repair.
1: Yeah. So, so what I started to do was as I started to learn more about, um, again, the clinical setting and now trying to prepare myself for the kind of second attempt, um, that'd be in fall 2016. Um, the spring 2016, I decided to take, to start retaking some of the classes that I didn't do so good on or classes that I hadn't taken yet. Um, like, organic chemistry lab too, because at my school, we didn't need to take that mm. uh, combined with organic chemistry lecture too. We just took that separately. So I started to look, okay, where am I, where do I stand on my prereqs and what courses should I start retaking that I didn't do so well on that maybe the first year or two of college, like I struggled with such as Gen Bio 1, Gen Chem 1. And I started to just kind of do that um, online at a, at a local community college in a way of like a do-it-yourself post back um, so I would do that online while trying to juggle, you know, work, like I said, working those two jobs. Um, and then dedicated my summer as well to catching up on some of those courses. And so as I prepared for the fall of 2016 with my MCAT uh, for a second go around, um again, I, I thought that because I was taking these courses and revisiting them, and because I was always in a clinical setting, that it was somehow work in my favor to have a better understanding, right? I reviewed the books a lot better, but I don't think I still took an, uh, more than one practice exam um, because I, that's just based on my time constraints where I was just working all the time. And um, I ended up taking a second time in fall. I think it was like September 2016. Mm. And the results showed. Uh, my per- lack of preparation that time also showed. And I got a 490 the second time around. And um, at that time, I still hadn't applied to Mexico. I didn't think about applying to Mexico for at least um, you know a couple more years. But at that time, once I got my second score, um, you know, I was crushing because I, I had a hope for a better score, but you know, it was what it was. And um during that time, I had also had a friend who had just started a program, um, kind of like an SP in my at my local medical school or when I went to undergrad. Um, there was a five-year linkage MDMS um SP where you do an MS the first year, and if you did well enough, you matriculate. And it was specific to state residents. Um and so Because she had done that program, I decided to apply for that program as well. And I was very, very fortunate to actually receive an interview in the fall of 2016 for that program with my 490. And during that time, um, you know, I had kind of like a a reinvigoration of like, okay, like I can actually do this. Like the the medical school actually, you know, likes me enough to invite me over to interview. So my efforts were kind of paying off. And uh, at the time, this program was about four hundred people that apply a year because it's a state specific program uh, for people who are either uh, first gen have a commitment to working with rural or primary care um, and all of the above. And out of the four hundred that apply about thirty three interview and they accept about ten. So still pretty competitive ten person cohort. Um, and I got an interview, and I felt just you know over the moon because i I was actually at a medical school just trying to finally fight for my dreams to come true. and uh but unfortunately from then on i didn't i didn't get in so as i was preparing as i um didn't get in i was also thinking to myself okay i have this plan a right plan a is to get to medical school but if it doesn't work out with this s&p because you know i don't want to put all my eggs in one basket what am i going to do um as not as a plan b but to redirect me back to plan a so i started to also look into more master's programs more opportunities and i started to apply to some and i ended up applying to a uh, master's program at my medical school where i was not currently living which was uh, in arizona still but i was uh thinking of doing a master's because i didn't get to s&p for the linkage i said i'm still going to do a master's that doesn't have a linkage but more of a do-it-yourself kind of linkage where i start the school i get to know the committee i get to know the school and I kind of do like a backdoor to prove myself again that um you know because even though i didn't get to this program i'm still going to put in the efforts yeah to now start graduate school
0: So doing that, right, going through the process of your do-it-yourself kind of post-bac master's program, coming from the educational system that you came up through, coming from more of the impoverished background, I love your Instagram handle, from from the hood, right, from hood to MD, (laughs) how did you make sure that you had the skills necessary to do well. Because I think that's the biggest divide that we need as a country, as a system, we need to figure out how can we take the students who are going through educational systems, whether because of redlining or whatever else, where they're they're just not getting the same educational level of the their counterparts on the, quote, wealthy side of town, how do we make sure that we don't leave them behind and we give them all the skills necessary to do well both in in high school undergrad and then and then in whatever graduate studies they want to go through how, how did you figure out the skills necessary to do well enough that obviously you were accepted to medical school
1: yeah so i think for me as i um as i kind of mentioned a little bit as i started to Start my sophomore and junior high of uh, college, I started to really, again, focus on just trying to be a better student. And it was during those times when I finally actually started to learn how to be a better student and seek out the resources and the help and the mentoring and the tutoring. Um, you know, I focused uh, towards the end of my undergraduate career on just trying to be a good student in the classroom. Because even though like, you know, I excelled my junior, my sophomore and junior year and towards the, my senior year of college, all those units that you take just start to add up so that the denominator the, the the um, of your GPA, just it's just so much harder to get it up, right? But like, I know that um, because I had a good trend, you know, I was trying to prove myself, again, trying to just make it out, but more so just trying to master how to be a student. Um, I knew that I kind of had to you know, become a better student than who I was when I started college. Um, and so as I, as I applied to master programs, there were still programs that required me to have a certain GPA that I didn't have because I had a 2.9 cumulative and I had to take the GRE. And so knowing those things specifically, like I knew that, okay, like if I'm not going to apply to medical school, the very best I can do at this point forward is trying to look for graduate programs that will give me the opportunity um, and the privilege to really learn how to be a better student at a graduate level, but also push me and you know whatever other support they had or whatever other um, parts of the program were required, like if it was research or they had like the academic support. Um, But a lot of those programs again, they require you to have a certain GPA, so. With that being said, like, it was really hard for me to find specific programs. So I thought for me, the thing that worked out best was to do a local program. And I think when it comes to, uh, for one, being aware of these programs, it, it just straight up just took me a Google search, um, maybe learning a little bit about them. Um, when you had mentioned that time, I think I was already listening to uh, the pre-made years religiously, learning about what postdocs were in S&Ps. Like, you never really, I think, dove into it specifically, but learning what those words were, because no one else in my immediate group, no one else in my... My friend group really or my family was pursuing medicine. Um, I started to kind of just look into it more. And I think some of the social aspects of what the barriers that I faced were, um, you know, trying to pursue graduate school, some of the programs that were smp's um, or they were like post bags, didn't always really qualify for the most federal funding um that you that would be required to pay for it. So there would be programs that I actually applied to that didn't that I got in, but they because they were like um uh, like kind of going back for a second bachelor's, they kind of limited how much federal financial aid you can get, and a lot of the other remaining money or half of the other money for the program would have to be either through out of pocket or a private loan. So, some of those things kind of really, um, you know, shortened my opportunities of where I could go next. But being that I was home and being that it was a master's program and I was going to get a graduate degree, I was able to qualify for certain loans. And you know, just understanding that hey, this is the price I got to pay, like, this is just. What the ticket is, and this is what I got to do to improve myself, not only uh, academically with my studies and a graduate student, but also the program had like the, the research experience that I was going to need to really push myself in that scientific progress. Um, and I think also another thing that's important is as I went up my upper divisions um, as a bioengineering student and my pre med, I started to notice that the representation of people in my class that looked like me was lower and lower. There wasn't a lot of people in my science lectures, in my science labs that really started to look like me. So it was a lot harder to find um, people that were kind of going through the struggle with me. Um, Now, this is, again, uh, during college between 2011 and 2015. And so there wasn't a lot of like the social media networking of what it is now for me, at least with Instagram and other social media to really find people who are like you that are pursuing the field. Like if you're Latinx in medicine, like there wasn't a lot of people like that at the time. Um, I mean, they were probably out there, but they weren't at least, we weren't interconnected in social media. So I think for me, seeing a lack of representation as I went up my divisions, I knew that I wanted to pursue higher education because I knew um, pursue a graduate degree because I knew that there wasn't a lot of people who that and it would also help me prepare. So I think that was also uh, an influence in me determining that I wanted to pursue because there wasn't a lot of people that looked like me um, that have a master's degree. And so I knew that um, whether I ended up pursuing medical school or not, which I was, but whether or not it worked out in my favor for whatever reason, at least I would better myself and my community um, for the better by pursuing a master's degree.
0: Yeah. Let, let's talk about that kind of, not necessarily mentorship, but just going through this process and, and being the only one or, or one of two or three people that look like yourself. Where did you find that camaraderie uh, among peers that may, may, maybe had similar backgrounds to you or, or looked like you or whatever, whatever kind of gave you the comfort that you belonged?
1: So during that time, I would say like, uh, before starting graduate school and during graduate school, I didn't have, I didn't really find a lot of people that looked like me that were doing it, um, personally. I had a lot of friends though that were pre-med in college and we had reconnected because we had both taken, like at this point, like two gap years per se, um, but we're still trying to pursue this. And ironically, it was like something where I just happened to run into them at the local library and reconnected and started kind of going through it again together. But I think specifically, like that looked like me, there wasn't really a lot of people at that time um, that were from my undergrad that looked like me that I still connected with that were also pursuing medicine. And so, um, to be honest, I don't think that I really started to connect with other people who identify as Hispanic, Latino, or BIPOC in general that are pursuing medicine until probably like in between the second and third time I applied to medical school. So, this is still years to come. And as I was going through medical school, I mean, uh, medical school, as I was going through graduate school, um, I was partnered up in a research lab and I was in graduate coursework. And I think at the time, too, like there wasn't really a lot of people like me in a research lab at all. And so the only time that I actually ever saw people that looked like me um, was after hours when it was just security guards um, or people who worked in maintenance or custodial work. But there were certain times when I would be super late in the lab where Seeing them that looked like me or could talk like me um, gave me the dose of inspiration that I needed that reminded me of why I was there. It would have been great to have a lab mate or someone in my class and graduate program that looked like me that were going through it. But having those small conversations here and there with people that I identify with, that looked that came from the same community that I came from, and they were kind of always like taken aback to see me there. Like, oh, like you actually work in this lab, you're actually a student. Like, wow, like tell us more, right? I think those specifically—that's kind of where I started to get my dose of inspiration from. Um, why I was there, and understanding that my purpose of being there was so much bigger than me. And um, yeah, I mean that—that's kind of what um, gave me the the extra push that I needed from studying all day and then being in the lab late at night. Was seeing people that looked like me, and my people, and talking to them, and then telling me that they themselves have children or nieces or nephews that wanted to pursue college or wanted to pursue science or medicine or whatever it is. And being able to remind them that it is possible and that I did come from the same neighborhood that they came from. um, I think that was really what what really helped guide me through graduate school and really push me through it.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the application process because that that's a beast all by itself. Um, And and if I'm not mistaken, it, it wasn't a one and done application process for you. So Let's talk about the the first application cycle coming to a close and realizing that you your your name wasn't called on draft day. When what was that like to realize that you're gonna have to go through this process again?
1: Yeah, and I think that's a great transition because after I had finished my graduate coursework uh through the entirety of twenty seventeen, as I started twenty eighteen, I had to now dedicate my time to finishing my research at the lab bench and um I pursued another job because during graduate school, I actually, when I started graduate school, I quit my job as an MA, but I kept my job as a scribe. So in graduate school, I was still working as a scribe overnights, but when I finished graduate school um, and I started 2018, I got another job at the university and now I was working in clinical research. And so during that time, I essentially didn't have any more uh, coursework um, responsibilities per se. And so, as I geared up for the 2018-2019 cycle, which was that summer of 2018, is when I said, "Okay, at this point forward, I have a an entire graduate GPA under my belt. I'm going to have to take the MCAT every time. I have the professional experiences that I needed. I've grown from who I was um, from college to where I am now. This is three years in in, in the process of it. Um, and so now I'm finally going to gear up to to make my first application to medical school. Right, my first real MCAT primary application. And I knew that for that. Um, and going into my third attempt at the MCAT, I needed to seek out professional help. And that beat is when I officially officially connected with you and worked with you on kind of one-on-one coaching and also um, hired a a next step tutor who's now Blueprint to really put me into the the plan that I need. Okay, how can I make this happen, right? I need to really invest in myself. And so um, as I went into the 2018 application, 2018-2019 year, um, you know, me and you went back and forth with getting my my application in line, right? Getting it as perfect as possible. And I think you don't really like you know you have to apply to medical school, but you don't really understand how much of a beast that application is and how much time it takes. It literally is a whole nother job. And so while working on the application, I realized like so much of the of the application components, like the um essay personal statement. Uh, extracurricular experiences force you to be introspective right to really think about okay i've done these things you know why why am i really here why do i really want to be in medicine and really force myself to think about my journey and what what is it that i ultimately want to accomplish and ultimately like if i'm doing certain things in the field right like my extracurriculars what how can i you really tell my story better than just telling you i'm a scribe right like what Specific moments in these experiences really drove me to to reaffirm mm-hmm. that I wanted to be a physician, um, and so I went through the process. I I got took my tutor. I took my third MCAT attempt again, pretty late in the cycle, which goes against, against all the advice they always say to apply early and take the test early. But I took the, the MCAT third time in uh, fall twenty eighteen. At this time, I had taken two years off from the MCAT, so that was going to be a lot better, a lot stronger. And uh, we, me and you, have submitted my application. Um and I just waited, right? So when I submitted my application, I think at the time, I had only put three schools on my application, two of which were my state schools and one of which was in the Midwest. And the only reason why I applied to a school in the Midwest was because one of my letter writers had an association there. I was affiliated to both my home institution and um, the school in the Midwest. And so I took them kept their time, and I unfortunately um, was only able to go up two points from a 490 to a 492. And that was super crushing because I had worked so hard throughout the summer to to get there, to do the best I could. And I was scoring in a 500 um, range. Um, I think the highest I had broken at the time was 502. And it wasn't the best, but it was good enough for me, at least. I thought it was like putting in a lot of work. And so I got my my MCAT score on a Monday morning in October. And then by that Friday, um, I had got my first invite to interview for a medical school in the Midwest, which was Indiana, which is one of the few schools that doesn't require secondary ironically and so it was a roller coaster of emotions because i had you know i had just been really bummed about my score and then by the end of that week i was now being invited to interview and i thought wow is this actually possible like i can actually possibly make my dreams come true um and so you know from that point on from october to the time my interview was just january of uh 2019 i just prepared for it the most the most i could i i just did mock interviews with you um, with friends, with uh, peers and mentors, and essentially just, you know, try to make sure that I put my best foot forward because this was my one opportunity to make my dreams come true. And, uh, you know, interview day in itself was was an amazing experience because it was for the first time in my life that I was actually like flying out of my state to go to a school a thousand miles away to potentially make my dreams come true. And it was a really, really like, heartfelt feeling because I had worked so hard uh, for so many years at this point, right. To, to be able to have this opportunity, to just share my story and just be given an opportunity to make my dreams come true. And so I remember arriving to um, the day before my interview and arriving to my Airbnb at the time and just calling my mom and all my family and friends to kind of have them like share the moment with me and kind of give me those, you know, those feels and those reminders of like why I'm here. And, you know, just, you know, thought about it, prepare my application, prepare myself, you know, prayed, thought about how far I've come to be here, and then just went to sleep. And I remember on interview day, you know, it was a it was a really exciting feeling, like we all feel. But as I got there and I started to mingle with the pre-meds, um, you know, people were great, but I also started to kind of feel a little bit of imposter syndrome when I started to see that, like, everybody's schools were like Ivy League, and then here I was just, like, coming from a state school, right? And I felt like, damn, here I'm University of X, and, like, everyone else is, like... Yale or UPenn. And so the posture kind of started to get to me because literally they know, like, you know, who I am and how my MCAT is. But then I also started to remind myself, like, no, like, you know what? Like, I do deserve to be here. Like, I have worked just as hard to be here. And the only person really that I'm I'm competing with is just me and the man in the mirror. And, you know, so from that point forward, I started to just focus on me and started to just mingle with people and getting to know people because it was more about, obviously, collaboration, not competition. And uh, my interview in itself went great. It was a traditional interview. And then from that point forward, I just kind of left everything on the table and, you know, came back home. And then from that point on, I I just waited and waited for months, which in itself is is part of the process, right? You just wait and wait and wait. And uh, by, I think like May of 2019, I got the news that I actually didn't get accepted. And I didn't even get waitlisted. And I was just super crushed, super bummed. But then I also, um, you know, I took a day or two to kind of just, you know, be in the fields and be bummed out about it. But then I started to realize like, man, like I really had a blessing in disguise because I was so honored and privileged to have had the opportunity to interview, which is something a lot of people don't get. And that was really the only fuel that I needed to remind me that it was all worth it and that I was ready to go on for a second application. Because, um, yeah, because in itself, like, um, you know, the I started to realize, again, the primary, secondaries, um, you know, really forced to be introspective. And then the interview in itself is, again, a, a really an honor and a privilege to, to be able to do that. because. Not a lot of people get that opportunity and not a lot of people get to practice in a real thing. And so, yeah. And then from that point on I prepared for my second application and my fourth MCAT attempt.
0: What did you do differently with that fourth MCAT attempt to make a difference?
1: Yeah. So now going into my second cycle, my fourth uh, MCAT attempt, I, um, I decided to just self-study. I knew that I needed to really apply myself and I know I really was going to do it for me. Even if I had a tutor, no one was really going to hold my hand. So I decided to just really just do a lot of self-studying by, you know, buying the resources that I needed, um, by doing the double OMC stuff and, and really just rereading the books that I had already got um, and doing a lot more practice tests um, than I previously had done. And then so going to the 2019-2020 cycle, which is my second application cycle, um, I, again, I spent the summer dedicated to just studying and I took the MCAT, I think, in September uh, for the fourth time. And um, during that time, I had to prepare my application again to reapply. Um, I had gotten some feedback after my interview about, um, you know, what my weaknesses were. Like, what was my shortcoming? Why didn't I get accepted? And they had told me that, you know, to just retake the MCAT because, you know, based on a, a competition of the, of the pool of applicants, my MCAT was still below the average. And, you know, on um, my matriculate they just said, maybe I can boost it up a couple points and reapply. I should be fine and applying earlier. And so I did that, right? So I submit had resubmitted my application for a second time and took the kind of four time. And this time around, uh, I got my score back and it was a 497. And even though again it wasn't the greatest, I was really, really happy and really proud of myself because I put in a lot of effort to increase five points. And I reapplied obviously to some of the same schools. Now I had above the minimum to be considered for at least my local school. And things are kind of just aligning in itself in my brain, right? And then um I also decided to really go in on a full application cycle because again, like my first cycle, I'd only really applied to three schools, but really, I didn't finish two of the three secondaries, so it was only really one. Um, actually, there was a four schools now I think about it, one in the in the Midwest again, but I get to that point later. but um as I went to my second cycle, I made sure that i I really researched the schools that were gonna help me um, become who I needed to become, not who I want to become. And I think that was really critical because As I started to go through this um, a second time around, and I had just interviewed, right, I really got to experience and learn a lot about myself and, like, why do I really need to do this? Not what I want to do this, but why do I need to do this? And as I started to think about those things and why I needed to do it and where I envisioned myself to be as a physician and a student doctor, um, I started to focus my efforts and my time and the things that mattered the most to me and, like, my community, um, the things that I was doing directly with. you know, other students that I started to meet along the way that were also applying. And also, like, understanding that the school that I wanted to apply to um, was a place that I needed to go to become who I needed to become. And so I say all that to say, because as we went into um, the 2019-2020 cycle, I, um, I knew that something that I needed to do differently was to attend some more of the, these what they call, world-renowned pre-med or pre-health conferences, specifically like the uh, UC Davis one. And so I made sure that whatever schools I, I applied to, um, after I applied to all these schools that I was really interested in, I made sure that I found out if they were going to be at XYZ conferences. And that ultimately led me to apply to like 25, I think, or to 30 schools, something like that. Um, secondaries within a week or two um, as I prepared to go to the UC Davis conference. And that is where I got to finally kind of put myself in front of a lot of missions people um, and kind of put a face to my application, as well as put a face to them as to who they were besides the website and besides who I was on paper. Because I knew that my income wasn't the best and my GPA wasn't the best at the undergraduate level, at least. I knew that I wanted to be able to show them that I was more than the things that were in front of them in a piece of paper. And so when I went to the UC Davis conference, that's when I officially got to meet you. Dr. Gray. shout out. <laughs> um, but also, like, got to uh, to really meet a lot of these admissions people. And I got to really understand who they were and, you know, a majority of which I had a good vibe from. Uh, but then also learning, you know, sometimes maybe some of these schools aren't for you and learning kind of like, you know, how do you move forward from here and keeping in contact with them and really just trying to be the best self that I can and do the things that no one else was willing to do. Um, because, again, I knew that how because of who I was on paper, because of the metrics, I needed to, do, I needed to use every single opportunity to, to me to be able to get to meet them and show them that I was more than that.
0: Yeah. So you show up, you put a face to the name. We we had dinner that night and I, I got to hear about the conversations you had with some of those people. Uh, and ultimately, right, we, we get to the end of your story and, and you end up with an acceptance to medical school. Just just tell me quickly, what was it like to finally get that acceptance, uh, whether it was through email or, or phone call?
1: Uh yeah. So then after going through all that and three cycles later, um and many interviews and many wait lists and going through a fifth MCAT attempt. Um I remember uh, as I went into um one of my first interviews for my third application cycle, they had told us that like we were gonna find out, um, this is a through Zoom University at least, right? Through uh Zoom virtual interviews. Um, yeah, I remember they told us that we were gonna find out within two weeks after the interview. And that was actually the fastest I've had, ever, I've had ever heard a school tell us. And so for two weeks, I waited, I waited, I waited. And then um, went through my other interview as well between that time. But before the second school gave back to me, I heard back from the first school. And I remember the date. It was November 20th, 2020. And I knew it was going to be that day, but I didn't know what time. So I remember when I woke up, because um, I was at a MST time zone, around 5 in the morning to go to work. I saw my email, and I saw that they had... Um, Send me an email like at three in the morning. I was like, oh, shoot, here we go. Subject line, like um,
0: decision status. <laughs> That's and, the worst. Uh, you got to go check the portal. Like, just tell me in the email.
1: Yeah, yeah. But uh, but the email did say it though. I just I had just a subject line. I was like, okay, here we go. Dear Brian, right? And so I opened the email and I see Dear Brian and I read the first line. It says, um, it was a great pleasure to inform me that you have been. And I, once I saw that, I knew that at the very least it was going to be an acceptance and i was like here we go like this has to be it yeah and uh yeah i saw i saw the read, read the email said there's a question for me that you have been uh recommended for acceptance to the class of 2025 and uh it was surreal i felt like after all these years of having this dream and working through it and going through all this uh, emotional and grueling process i had officially finally received my letter of, of acceptance and i knew that no matter what i was gonna become a physician
0: why not give up? Why not give up? So so many people give me a hard time because I say, don't have a plan B. And, and you're the perfect student who five MCAT tests, uh, three application cycles, right? Why not give up and, and go to a plan B? Um, I
1: think for me, it came down to really being reflective and introspective with how every single cycle had turned out. I think because the first cycle had turned out in an interview, even though I wasn't accepted, that kind of gave me the reminder that, hey, everything I've been doing did work out for a reason. And as I went from that point forward through my second cycle and had interviews, and then to my third cycle and same thing, had interviews and got waitlisted, um, like I finally had gotten those reminders along the way That, hey, it is possible if you just continue to not give up and continue to work a little harder by not letting off the throttle, not letting off the pressure to yourself. Um, Obviously, don't overkill. Don't push yourself to the the bottom, right? But to be able to really understand that you're just this much closer, like no matter how many times it takes for them to say no, to really just say not now. And I'm going to keep coming back to your desk and reapplying to your school respectfully, right? As long as you allow me to to remind you why, why I need to be here. Um, And so, yeah, I I think those um, interviews gave me a little doses that I needed to remind myself that, Hey, I am worthy. It is worth it. The obvious are interesting enough to bring me. And even though you guys put me on the wait list and you have no more seats in class, I'm going to bring my own chair if I have to. (laughs)
0: Um, So, yeah. I love it. I love it. Bring your own chair. Brian, for everyone following in your footsteps, uh, to whether they they come from a similar community, similar ethnicity, whatever it may be, for those struggling on their journey, what final words of wisdom do you have to help encourage them to keep pushing forward?
1: Um, I think, you know, what I could put out there for everybody who's facing a similar battle would be That I know that we all want the same goal, right? We all want to just be accepted to medical school. We all want to just be physicians. But I think the hardest lesson I learned along the way was learning to just fall in love with the journey and the process and not so much the end result of the accomplishment. Yes, we want the A, we want the acceptance. But once you start to fall in love with the process and start to learn about yourself and spend these years as growth years, not gap years, but growth years, um, it will all come full circle. It would all make sense. Yes. There's nothing more that I would have wanted than to overnight um, get a set to ride out of college. But I'm so, so happy, so fortunate, and so grateful that the things that happened the way they did, because had they not happened, I wouldn't be who I am today, the student doctor that I want to be, and the physician that I one day will need to be.
0: All right, there you have it. Again, Brian talking about his journey to medical school. I hope that was helpful for you. Nice little timeline Brian laid out for us of kind of everything that happened in his journey, ultimately leading to that acceptance. If you're looking for help on your application, like Brian got with his first application, even though it wasn't successful, he continued to use a lot of those strategies that we put forward and we stayed in touch throughout his other application cycles. If you're looking for some help on yours, go to mapped.com, that's M-A-P-P-D, dot com slash services. And my team and I will gladly help you with anything that you need in your med school journey. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the pre-med years.